All right. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today. And if you're just joining us physically or online, we are finishing a series called Back to Your Future. And uh, over the last five weeks, here's what we've been committed to do is to help you not only in 2022, but beyond make decisions that honor God, that, that honor Christ, right? To have less regrets in your life and make better decisions. Uh, one of the things I hate is to talk to people with so many regrets in their life. But from this day forward, guess what? You can make decisions with fewer regrets that end up honoring God. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 this morning. It's Ephesians 5, 15. As you know, I have a six-year-old, and if you've had a six-year-old or have one, one of the things that they do is they test boundaries. They want to know the boundary and then they want to push that boundary as hard as they can. Some of you are like, yeah, my, mine's 16, they still do it. Yeah, right? Uh, but, but he's at this place where it literally is a negotiation every time. And I, I feel like that what the, the government should do is take six-year-olds and put them in counterterrorism. I think, I think they could wear down terrorists. I do. Like, like there's some days I'm completely drained of any energy that I have, Right? And because he has worn me out just negotiating, because he wants to know where's that boundary, where's that line, and then how close can I get to it without getting in trouble? Well, if we're honest today, whether you're 6, 16, 36, 66 years old, in our human nature, we all have this desire to know the line, to know the boundary, and then want to push the boundary just as far as we can in life. Like, how far can I go in this situation without getting caught? or getting in trouble, or having fallout. And sometimes we think about that. Think about like with our health. Like, like how, how far can I push it before actually something's wrong? Or finances. How much in debt can I go before I actually start feeling it? And in our lives, we have to understand that that's kind of where re what religion is. Religion is give me a rule so I can push that rule as far as I can. And that's what Jesus dealt with uh, in the first century with the Jewish uh, religions. They wanted to just push it as far as they could go. And he began to redefine it. And in our lives today, we've had people that have tried to help us with this. Now, when I think about people who tried to help me, my parents were those people, right? Think about parents. Parents were the ones who first set boundaries for us. And one thing unique about your parents or your guardians, whoever you grew up with, they probably did this for you. They probably tried to help you have caution even when you didn't see immediate danger. That's what parents did, right? They, they, they gave you caution even when there wasn't immediate danger. Uh, when they're toddlers, you're like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't jump off that. No, no, stop doing that. No, no, don't eat that. Like, like, like the child doesn't see any immediate danger with eating Play-Doh. And maybe there's no immediate danger with it, but there's going to be some danger coming up. And so parents were always telling you, this is the boundary and stay as far away from as you can. Don't get so close to it, Right. I mean, think about your parents. They never said to you, hey, drive just as fast as you can drive without getting caught by the cops. You never heard that. Just hang out with whoever you want to hang out with as long as they're not felons or like murdering puppies. If they're not doing that, then like it's game. Hang out with anybody you want to. Like they wanted you with the people, right? That were Go out and party this weekend and drink just as much as you want. Just don't die. Like no good parent worth their salt would ever give that advice. What parents would do is they would give a boundary and give an abundance of caution so we didn't make those mistakes. Think about like all of your, your teenage regrets and childhood injuries. They were because 
you didn't listen to boundaries. Amen? Right? Like, like it's just, you, you can't be doing that, that you're, you're going too far. And what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 5 today is the apostle Paul was kind of like a spiritual parent to the church at Ephesus. Uh, but the, Paul had planted this church on one of his missionary journeys. And what happened in Ephesus was one of the most powerful things that ever happened in Scripture. When you look back at Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul goes into the city with a few friends. Nobody had ever heard of the resurrection of Jesus Christ at that point that, that they had known of, that uh, it was the first time ever. And what was unique about Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, if you're trying to find it on a map in the Middle East, look for modern-day Turkey, was that it was a highly charged uh, pagan spiritual environment. The whole city worshipped Artemis or the goddess Diana. If you were Greek or Roman, you called her different things. But like their whole economy was based on Diana, worshiping Diana. They had Diana t-shirts and Diana hats and trinkets. And like, like, you know, like everything, like Virginia's for lovers. But no, there it was like, it's all about Diana or Artemis. Not only that, but witchcraft was very, very prevalent there. There were people who worshiped false gods, which is worshiping demons. And so Paul goes in, he preaches the resurrection, he begins to do miracles there that he didn't do in other cities. The only place he ever saw this happen, he would like, he would like give out like a, you know, a bandana and like people would get healed. Like it was just crazy stuff happening. And what was powerful about it wasn't just that, these people that were doing witchcraft began to take their, their books and their stuff and they all got a big bonfire in the middle of the city and they all threw it in there and began to burn it up and they were proclaiming, I will go broke. I will, they were losing their professions. The guys who made the Diana trinkets and hats had to give that up because that's worshiping a false goddess. And this crazy revival took place in Ephesus. He spent two years there that was the longest place Paul ever pastored any church that we know of, two years. And then Paul was on to the next. And so when he writes to this church at, at Ephesus, uh, there's a bond there. And he speaks more about spiritual warfare and all these things because he's like a father speaking to a child. And when you look at, uh, at, at the letter written to the church at Ephesus, you get to understand this too. They didn't have a written Bible back then. Like, the, like there wasn't a chapter and verse to go to. So Paul is trying to help them understand when he's not around, he's not there anymore, which he wasn't, how do you make these wise decisions and choices in life? How do you honor God? How do you do the will of God? In Ephesians 5, 17, it's chalk full, and we're going to dig, dig into this, it's chalk full of wisdom. He says this, so be careful how you live to the pagan Ephesians, those who were you know, caught in that culture. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Paul, in these two verses, gives four commands and two clarifications of what these commands look like on what it means to do the will of God. Like, like all of us want to know what is the will of God in this situation for me. If you're a follower of Jesus, that should be on your radar, right? Like, I wonder what the will of God is for me in my life. And so with them, out, with them not having chapter and verse, and, and again, everybody was new to Christianity. Uh, there was, you know, they were coming out of a very sick moral culture. Paul gives them these jewels to live by. And I want to help you with this today too, because you're going to have situations in your life when you're going to want to know, what does the Lord want me to do in this situation? What is the will of God? And the first thing he says to them is, don't be careless with how you live. Like, again, it's like we're teenagers, Correct? 
But, but, but I want to pause real quick and ask you how many of you are actually careful with how you're living? Oh, well, we're all living, and a lot of us are going at insane paces. But how's your soul? Are you careful with how you live and how you interact with others and the things that you're doing in life? And can I tell you, if I'm honest with you, there's many days that I'm careless with how I live too, how I spend my time, how I spend my money. I'm not careless. Paul says, if you want to do the will of God, the first thing you've got to put on your radar is, I'm going to live carefully. Kind of like your parents. Be careful out there. Like when you leave, make sure you have your jacket. Like parents are always cautioning you, be careful. So for us, it's to live a life of caution and thoughtfulness with how we're living. And then he gives them a picture of that. He says, not as unwise people do, but be wise or as wise people do. Now, the way he frames this here, he says, not as the unwise, but as, the, as, as wise people do. You, you kind of see this juxtaposition of the unwise and the wise, the foolish and the wise, which is chalk full in Proverbs all, all through there. But he's taking into account, it's almost like they're not wise yet, as wise people do. He's like, hey, if you know somebody who has wisdom, live like that person. That's what I want you to do. And so he shows them that if you're going to be careful, if you're not going to live a careless life, you've got to pause and begin to think about what what would someone who is wise, I've looked at their life, what would they do in this situation? What does living a thoughtful and careful life look like? And then he gives them the next command, which shows you. It's almost like it just starts building upon each other. He says this, by making the most of every opportunity. Now, in, in the New King James, or maybe King James, which I memorized most of Scripture in, when I uh, got saved, it's the only Bible I had, it was called redeeming the time, right? The language Paul gives here is really mysterious because the language is really back to your future language. It's buying back time that you lost. If I told you there was a company online, there's an app that you could pay $19.99 for the app, and you could actually buy back time, how many of you would do it? Amen. All of that. I would too. There are like, there are purchases I want to go back and undo. There are relationships I want to go back and undo, right? There's habits I want to go back and just never started. But the truth of the matter is, why would Paul promise them this? Because he wasn't speaking about their past, but wisdom from this day forward, as I opened up with. And, the, and the, the, the language there of redeeming the time is making the absolute most of every opportunity in front of you. That's what wise people do. That's what people who live carefully do. They look at every opportunity with wisdom. And they want to make a wise decision on the front end. See, many people end up having to clean up messes their whole life. It's called drama. It's called problems. They always have something going on, right? I mean, some days that's me. I'm not, not pointing the finger at you. But the reason that we get into these things, where we get into a job that we never should have taken, a relationship we never should have gotten, uh, gotten into, um, issues with, with debt, credit card debt, or, or those things, being upside down, house poor, whatever it is for you. If we're to be honest with ourselves, it's because on the front end, we, didn't, we, we just didn't ask the hard questions, right? We didn't do the homework on the front end. We weren't making the most of every opportunity in front of us. And for me, that's challenging as well, because that's what wise people do. Every opportunity, I'm going to make the absolute most of this opportunity. And then he goes on to say this, and this is where he says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Like, okay, yeah, days are evil. Kind of what does that mean? Well, the language and the imagery that Paul ties in here, redeeming the time, is this. 
and this is for them, our culture is set to sabotage. That's why you make the most of every opportunity. The culture in Ephesus was set to sabotage them doing the will of God. Everywhere around them, they had these temptations to go back into pagan hedonism and, and temple prostitution and all the things, the drugs and things that were involved in worshiping these false gods. They were consumed with it around them. And Paul says, you've got to make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time for the, the culture around you. Every day you live, there is evil. And think about for us, guys, in America, we're not much different than Ephesus, are we? Trouble's one click away. And our culture is set to sabotage. Media and advertising are not on your side. Have you ever noticed that? I want you to do a little experiment when you're watching TV. Seriously, pause and look at the commercials and think about our, the commercials, how many of them are actually for you to help you and how many of them are to undo what you're trying to do. Chase freedom. Credit cards and freedom are never tied hand in hand. Double stuffed Oreos. Alan McGuire feels me out there. That's, 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 my, that's my, my stuff there, man. That's what, that's what I go for. Like, like, seriously, I watch my son. And like, so um, I usually choose on demand when we watch like Paw Patrol or something. Because when we do the DVR, which is cheaper, he's like just drawn into advertising. He wants everything that's coming up. Everything around you is taught, you, is teaching you to make impulsive decisions. The stuff we're watching, right? Be, be very careful with how you live and what you watch. It's teaching you that if you don't have fuzzy feelings for your, your spouse, on Netflix you have these little shows, these romantic comedies, these Lifetime movies. I don't watch Lifetime movies, but I can just imagine you, right? Like, it's like, go get the best feeling you can get. Get out of your marriage if it doesn't feel good. Don't fi- how many movies do you see where they go through counseling for three years and unpack everything? And it's hard, and it's tough, and then it finally works out in the end. That would be boring. It's much easier for her to leave him, go to the new, new, new town where she knows no one. There's the local firefighter, right? He's single, like he's a carpenter, and they, you know, they, they fall in love together. I mean, it's just much, and our culture is set to sabotage us. And we will never be able to perform the will of God in our life if we don't understand that that it's meant to undo all that, that God wants you financially free. He wants your relationships right now to flourish. He wants you to be healthy physically. He wants you to be healthy emotionally. And we're just not in a culture that's going to lean toward that, right? And then he says this, so don't live like a fool. It's pretty straightforward, right? Don't live like a fool. How's a fool live? Just don't live like that. Um, I could stop the message right now and we could all go home and be good. But that's, that's not what we're stopping at because this is not a self-help message. Because what Paul wants them to understand is not just to get better decisions, not just to make wiser decisions, but he wants them to understand something, and it's understanding the will of God for their life. And so he says this, understand what the will of God is for you in every situation. Understand. He didn't say no what the will of God is. Very different. Very different. There was a guy who approached Mother Teresa one day as she was helping out lepers. He says, I just wish that I had the clarity that you have, Mother Teresa. You know exactly what God wants you to do every day. And she stopped him. She said, I do not know what God wants me to do. She says, I only have trust, not clarity. 
And so many times it comes to the will of God, you have to understand what the will of God is for you. What we want, if you're like me, I want like Google Maps or Apple Maps to map me there. Okay, okay, God, what's the next step? Okay, okay, am I getting in the left lane? Then will I turn left or right? And we want to know that. And sometimes I've talked to people, and it's, you know, especially helping church planners or business entrepreneurs, and they're just like, got it all mapped out and five-year plans and all that. Following the will of God is not like that. It's having to understand. It's a process. Wisdom is a process. And here's how it works out in our life. So, for me, I took New Testament Greek, and that was my, uh, for my Bachelor's of Arts. I studied the New Testament in Corne Greek, which it was written in. And so with that, though, it was very, very, it wasn't, like under, it wasn't like learning other languages. You just didn't have to memorize things. You would show up, you'd put a verse on the screen, and you had to not only pronounce it correctly, but then you had to parse every word in there and then give the etymology of the keywords in there because all the words were borrowed, borrowed from the Greeks, Right? And how that word progressed and how they used it in other languages. You had to un- completely just understand what was being said, not just know a language. And, and for us, I think we, we, get, we get messed up when we think we need to know what the will of God is. Understanding God's will is a process. It's not just knowing. God, just tell me and I'll do it. I wish it was that easy, right? See, knowledge is something where you just you, you know it. You can read a book and get knowledge, right? Like, for instance, when I toured with my band, I got how to, you know, how to fix and how to work on a, it was a 1979 Ford van for dummies. <laughs> and, and I learned how to change all the things out in it. Like, like, I knew, so I'd read the book, I got knowledge. Wisdom was when I began to apply that knowledge, right? And then understanding was, on the back end, learning from my mistakes and how I can get better next time on fixing the next thing. So when you read Proverbs, I, I encourage you to read Proverbs every day. It's a book full of wisdom. Is There's knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And many times with the will of God, we confuse what those three things are. To understand what the will of God is means you're going to sometimes make some mistakes. You're going to process things. You're going to think deeply about what's happening. And sometimes you're not going to know exactly what to do, but you're trusting God in that. Because many of us are going to come to situations in our life in this year and years in the future where we're going to wonder, man, I, I, I want to understand what the, what the will of the Lord is this, in this situation. Okay, then be careful with how you live. Don't live carelessly. Think about what wise people do versus fools. Begin to look at every opportunity and make the most out of it. So it just builds, realize that your culture is against you. Don't give in to impulsiveness, feelings, emotions, and culture. And then you begin to flesh out what the will of God is in your life. You begin to live that thing out. Because just like at the church at Ephesus, they didn't have a chapter and verse. Like, 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 and, and many times for the things you're going to face, can I tell you, I get a lot of questions that come to me on, what should I do in this situation? Because the Bible is not clear on it. There's many things the Bible is clear on. You better know what they are. I love when somebody comes in, well, what do you think about this? I was like, I don't know, man. What, what do you think? Because you're going to stand for God for you. I'm not going to stand for God for you. You better know what the Bible says. But there's many places in the Bible, it just doesn't say anything. There's not like a clear chapter and verse for it. So what do we do in those situations? That's where wisdom comes in. And I want to talk to you about that today because if you're going to grow in maturity and grow and make God-honoring decisions and do the will of God, you've got to learn to process this thing called wisdom, which the Bible, again, start to finish, is one of the key cornerstones of people who follow God. And here's what I want you to write down about wisdom. Wisdom is a compass when there is no map. 
That's what wisdom is for us. Wisdom is a compass when there is no, no map. Like we want the map, right? Step-by-step step, Google directions, Apple directions, right? We, we want it to tell us exactly where to go. But a compass tells you the direction to go in, not that you're going to have it all figured out. And so sometimes when you're using a compass, if you've ever used one before and you're in the woods, you've got to walk through some messy stuff to get the place you're trying to get to. You don't, oh, can I cross this? I've got to go a different way. It's not the easiest route. It keeps you true north when you begin to process wisdom in your life. And I want to encourage you that as you go into this year and the years beyond to really process wisdom. Matter of fact, wisdom is so important. In Proverbs 16, 16, this is a verse that shaped my life when it came to wisdom. It says this, how much better to get wisdom than gold? If I told you today I, I could either drop some wisdom on you or give you some money, you'd ask for money, wouldn't you? I would, come on. No, no, pastor, I'm all about wisdom. No, you're not. I, I read your Facebook account. Yeah, no, you're not. You're not all about wisdom. <laughs> Sheepishly laughing. <laughs> you can laugh at Thrive. It's okay, right? Yeah, it's okay. And good judgment than silver. Like, like this verse here changed my life because in my 20s when I gave my life to Christ, I had a guy tell me, he said, in your 20s, Kevin, you can choose money or choose wisdom, but you won't get it both at the same time. He said, you can choose to go get you a church job and make a full-time salary early on. Go ahead. Or you can choose wisdom, which means wisdom needs you to experience, right? It's not just knowledge. College is knowledge. Wisdom is you got to get out and do it. you got to ask questions. You can make decisions uh, or make better decisions by finding mentors or mistakes. He said, you need to pursue wisdom. And I've told you this before, but what I would do is not only did I, did I always do ministry while I was in college and I got my tail kicked with it, I got some crazy stories. You got church hurt? I got church hurt too. But what else I did? I would meet with people, with pastors. And I would say, hey, look, I just want to buy you lunch. I'm not going to eat. I'm gonna say, I got questions I need to ask you. And I would just ask question after question after question after question, and then I'd go apply it to the ministry I was in over and over and over again. I did not have a paying ministry job that was longer than a year. I had one time for one year I got paid, and then, then I left that until I was 34 years old. I had a doctorate, and I was working for less than minimum wage in social work while pastoring. I come to Thrive Church. They were so broke they couldn't pay me attention. <laughs> my favorite ones there. I got more. I'm here all day, here all day. <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I got here, and, and, and again, we had 20 people, and they're like, ah, we got like a part-time stipend type thing we can do for you. You, you want to come? And I came because I understood this. It's better to get wisdom than money. And in your 20s and in your 30s, if you're a young person in here, if you're a teen, get wisdom, get experience, all that you can, and money will come. I promise you the money will come later because people will pay you for the wisdom and experience you have. They will. If you're talking, yeah, one person said, yes, amen. Everybody's like, I don't want to do that. I want some, what's the best paying job I can find straight up? And so when it comes to, your, to following Jesus, get wisdom, man. Pursue wisdom. Pursue growing, investing in yourself, because there's times in your life when you're going to come to places where there's no 
map of what to do next. And you've got to begin to ask the tough questions to make the most of every opportunity so you can do the will of God. So every week, if you're, if you're just joining us, here's what we've done. We've armed you with a question to ask. The first week, I, I encourage you to ask this question, the integrity question. When you face a tough decision, am I being honest with myself? Really? What am I really angry at? Why am I really offended? Why does that really bother me so much? Right? Like, ask that question. The second week, I armed you with a legacy question. What story do you want to tell when there's nothing left but a story to tell? One day, somebody's going to tell a story about you. Your life's going to be a story. You get to decide that story. The next week, I armed you with this question that's going to help you in red flag moments. Is there a tension inside of you that deserves your attention? Is there a red flag? Stop going past the red flags. Pay attention to it, and, and you will honor God, make better decisions, and do the will of God. Last week, we asked the question for this, the relationship question, what does love require of me in this situation? And today, what I want to do as we finish this series out, I want to arm you with the maturity question, and it's this, what is the wisest thing to do? Sounds simple, right? But, but impulsiveness causes you to not ask that. You should ask the question in any situation, what's the wisest thing to do for me in this situation? And I guarantee if you start asking that question before you get into a purchase, remember the three Ds, you have dumb purchases. Is it really wise to go in that much debt for that flat screen TV? See, you start to sound like your dad, right? I, over, I'm sounding more and more. I just heard Keith laugh in the back. Because <laughs> more and more, I sound like my dad over and over again. Like, like you know, like my, my car's falling apart, but I'm like, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, the keyless entry thing doesn't work anymore. I was the, it's fine. What's, you know, I don't, need, I don't need all this. But the, the TV that I watched is 12 years old. I feel like my dad, but, but he, I could just, son, do you really need that? Dumb purchases. Think about destructive behaviors and habits. What's the wisest thing for me to do in this situation? Doomed relationships. What's the wisest thing for me to do? And then when you're out and about with your friends, when, when, when you're, you know, the buddies ask you to go play poker and your wife's told you, I don't like you doing that. I don't want you gambling away our money. What would happen if you actually paused and said, you know what, what's the wisest thing for me to do? You probably wouldn't go do that, would you? Right? Apply that to every area of your life when it comes to decisions you have to make. What's the wisest thing for me to do in this situation? And here's the kicker with it. We think wisdom, when it comes to this, you're working wisdom out. We think wisdom is measured by your gray hairs and number of years you've lived. It's not. Because here's the deal. Wisdom has to be applied. Remember, knowledge applied equals wisdom, right? Wisdom lived out becomes understanding. And so wisdom is never measured by how long you've lived, the number of gray hairs you have, or how young you are. It's never measured. At, it's only measured by knowledge applied. If you have a whole bunch of knowledge and it's just not being applied, then you're not wise. Matter of fact, Proverbs would probably call you or call me, probably call us a fool because we have all the knowledge, we're just not doing it. And so I want you to write this down. Wisdom is proven with the track record of life. 
Remember Paul said, don't, be, don't act as unwise, but, but act as wise people do? Well, wise people have this track record of knowledge. I'm applying it, and yeah, sometimes I failed with it. But here's what I've learned from it. Here's how I've grown from it, and here's what I did the next time. A wise person isn't someone that's living the same life over and over again. That they're 60, 70, 80, and it's the same stuff. They're in the same financial situation, the same physical situation, relationships. They're always the same church situation. That's not wise. That's not wisdom. Wisdom are people that you want to go to and say, hey, can you, can you show me what you did here and how you overcame this? Think about that, right? That's what wise people do. As a matter of fact, James said this in James 3.13, when you start asking this question and living this out, he says, if you are wise and understand God's will or God's ways, it's all in your head. No, he didn't say that. If, if you're wise and understand God's ways, then, then tell me how much of the Bible you know. Prove it. He says, prove it. Prove it. I'm mature and I'm wise in the Lord. Okay, prove it because you still act like a baby and you're 70 years old. Come on, y'all. I, this is the best. I'm just reading the Bible. James said, prove it, not me. He said, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. And so when you start applying this, and you, you take this question, and you start asking this question in front of every decision that you're going to make, well, yeah, but what's the wisest thing to do? My wife and I, before I you know, learned all this here and began to study and go through it, we've, we've begun to do that the older that, that we've gotten. And we've started making much better decisions that we didn't make even 10 years ago in our life. Yeah, I, I know we want to do that, but can we be honest? What's the wisest thing to do? Yeah, well, the wisest thing to do is probably just to do this. See, and when you start making those decisions and applying knowledge and applying the Bible to your life, you get wisdom, and then you begin to understand more. Now I understand more of what God's, God's will is for me. When I have opportunities that come up to say yes or no to it. Because sometimes your struggle isn't sin or God, right? It's not just, do I go and commit adultery or do I be faithful to my wife? That's probably not everybody. Maybe some of you guys are dealing with that, and I pray the Lord would, would work with you. But most of us, it's a good opportunity versus God opportunity. It's what's, it's what's good versus what is best, right? And those are the hard decisions. Well, what should I do in that situation? The promotion, that means God, I'm going to work more hours, but we, you know. So here's the thing that I want you to do. I want you to ask this question to be armed with this, and, and it's super important. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past experiences, if you've always struck out in relationships, then get some wisdom with it, right? Like, like don't just rush into it. Or if you've had a problem with debt, well, maybe you don't, well, whatever, what is your past experiences in light of that? I get bored real easy. I'm very entrepreneurial, right? So my past experiences is I, when I get bored entrepreneurial, I'm going to start something else. It's probably not a good thing. So in light of my past experiences, I look at that and I'm making decisions. In light of your current circumstances, never make decisions when you're in a valley or you're upset or you're emotionally charged. Never make decisions in a valley and never make them on the mountaintop. You're always destined to fail when you do that. 
Look at your current situation. If you're going to make a purchase of some sort, think about it. Ah, my past experiences, ah, current circumstance. And then in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? You have a great marriage. You have a great relationship right now. You, You have a good thing going. What do you want your future to look like, though? We've had speculations and reports, and we're not sure if it's 100% true or not, but Tom Brady will possibly be retiring. We're not sure yet. Um, and, I was, and the first thing I did was I felt like somebody died, first of all, because, like, I love watching greats play. I know, I know some of you, you know, just, you just pull for your teams. I, I, I love watching greats. I do. I, I wasn't a Bulls fan. Love watching Jordan. Um, I, I've loved watching seven championships. We'll never see it again, guys, in the history of professional sports. We're not going to—I know you, want, you believe your team can do it. They're not. I know you believe in your quarterback. It's just that seven's not going to happen, right? Just, just chalk it up. Go ahead and just, just you know, soak it in. Right? So when it happened, my best friend and I started texting back and forth. And I was like, man, I just, I just, like, I just, I feel like a friend died. And then when I got on the, you know, the trainer bike yesterday, and I got my message and look at it, um, you know, I took a break from the message um, and then took time. And I wanted to kind of look at the, the result, you know, the thing about what was being said, what was happening with Tom Brady. And this question was the very thing he was using as he was talking about on his podcast last, last week, in light of my past experiences, he's like, I've won seven. What else is there to do? I led the league in passing. I've had all the trophies. In light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? And then in light of my current circumstances, I'm 44. The teams, uh, these, these other teams, we're not going to compete. Let's just be honest. We're getting older and they're getting younger. My children are young. They only stayed little for so long, right? Current circle. And then in light of my future hopes and dreams, TB12, the, the company he has, getting to spend more time with his family. In light of all of that, in this, what's the wise thing to do in this situation? And friends, when you come across these situations in your life, when really hard decisions have to happen, you're trying to understand what God's will is and figure it out, you've got to pause and put Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 into practice and say, God, help me make the wisest decision in this situation. And I guarantee, guys, listen, you're not going to hit it every time. That's what wisdom is. Sometimes it's missing the mark, but wisdom isn't haphazardly doing it. Wisdom, and watch this, wisdom is when sometimes you'll miss the mark, but you've done all your homework on the front end of it, and you're determined, I won't make that same mistake again. And then you have wisdom, and then you start understanding how this thing all works, right? And my prayer for you is that every one of you would understand what the will of the Lord is for you by making the wisest decision possible. Let's pray. Father, this morning, you tell us many times in Scripture, if any of you want wisdom, ask. Father, as Solomon in 2 Kings 3 asked for wisdom, he was humble. Today, we just want to ask you to give us wisdom, God. Help us, Lord. Help us to make the wisest decision possible in every situation. To not live like fools. Help us to carefully and cautiously live, Lord, and consider the outcomes of our decisions and interactions. And Father, there's some people right now that have to make some decisions. I don't know who they are, whether they're watching online or here today, but I don't know who they are, God, but right now, I just pray you'd give them wisdom. And I pray this message would speak to their heart dearly, Lord. 
So God, we just come to you humbly this morning, just as Solomon did, saying, I'm a child, I don't really know how to do this. Lord, we come to you as children, asking that you would help us, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe today you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to start to have access to the God of the universe, to have access to that wisdom that happens when you give your life to Christ, that you have fellowship and relationship with God through Christ. And right where you're sitting, right where you're at, if you're watching online in the comfort of your own home, right where you're at, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And it's simple. You say, God, I need you. I need a Savior. I need the Savior, Jesus. Today, I give my life to you, Jesus. For I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that you rose again on the third day. I repent. I turn from that old life and I receive new life. I receive full forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God. Now, God, help me to have wisdom to honor you. And it's in Jesus' good name that we pray.